It's me, Stuart Wellington, the Flophouse Podcast, and this is a Flophouse Mini. Hell yeah. That means instead of watching a movie and then talking about it, we are going to be talking about a lot of stuff. We're going to do whatever we want, and today is a special day. That's right. Pop your fucking bottles, pour yourself a drink, because then is the end of the year. It is no longer 2022. It is now 2023. Time to fucking celebrate, right? Yep. Give me some woo-woos, boys. Thank you. That's right. 2023 is the year of the Stooges. The Stooges are back from the dead. Now I want to be a dog. No, not that Stooges. No, the wrong. Okay, sorry. But although I would say Iggy Pop and the Three Stooges, I think it would go a little something like this. Ah, give me danger, little stranger. Hey, hey, wait, hey, okay. I will. I thought, I was imagining like this this dowager being like, I have this valuable Iggy Pop. As you can see, he is quite frail. He is a, he is a thin reed of a man. Do not break him. And then, and then Lou Reed leans in and goes, like me? And they go, mm-hmm. you get out of here. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Who you call a street-walking cheetah? <laughs> <laughs> get this guy, Mo. He's a street-walking cheetah with a hide full of napalm. He's, uh, so I think that that's a sketch the Ben Stiller show should have done in the 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one where they it's, fucking where it's it. da- the dowager <laughs> hires Iggy and the Stooges to guard her, to, to be plumbers, and they're so strung out that they can't get any of it done. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that would yeah. I, actually that would fit very perfectly on that show. So joining me yeah. as always are my co-hosts from the Flophouse. That's right, Dan McCoy and Elliot Kalen. Hey guys, I'm so excited Hello. to talk about uh, 2022 movies and then looking forward a little bit. Uh, in general, mm. I think this year was not a particularly strong year for movies, um, oh. but I do have a couple of favorites, and I, I asked you guys to prepare a list of some of your favorites as well. I'm uh, sorry. I kind of thought I, the theme of this episode was 2022 Hollywood's Greatest Year. Sorry, mm, guys. That's I'm, why uh, you're wearing those glasses uh, that managed to put two eye holes out of four digits. Somehow they managed and to I, make it work. I disagree <laughs> about your assessment of the year for movies. I found mm. a lot of movies that I loved quite a bit. I think year, it's so. I think it's coming off of last year, which I felt was a particularly hot year. And I'm not talking found, the big- I'm not talking temperature. <laughs> I'm actually mm. found that a bunch of the movies that I was looking forward to talking to, because I saw them at the beginning of twenty twenty two were twenty twenty one releases. Oh, sorry, talking mm. about were twenty twenty one releases. So I think Stuart was right. I think twenty twenty one was overall a stronger year, but again, I only saw a handful of twenty twenty two releases. Best so maybe I'm not the best judge. Films. 2021. I'm glad that Dan is fact checking this. I gotta in look real back. Time. Into, no, I just gotta see why you're saying this about. Uh, I feel like I remember yeah. last year I had uh, trouble cutting my list down to only ten uh, favorite mm-hmm. movies. Um, I feel like Dune even got pushed out of there at the last minute by a little movie called The Last Duel. I mean, I was going to say, I, The Last Duel was a movie that I was looking forward to talking about in this episode. It's so and good. Was, was so sad to, to remind myself that it was a 2021 release, even though I saw it in 2022. All your yeah. notes about the various wigs got crossed off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last year was a good year too, but I don't think this was a bad year for movies. Okay. I'm looking at them now, but- I'm When not. I saw The Last Duel- it was a, was very, a very good, good year. year. A very good year for ill-fitting wigs. And Adam Driver being kind of a bad guy. I'd let's just say a very <laughs> bad guy. He does something terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a terrible guy. Uh, he's a terrible so guy with well, with that in mind, Dan, why don't you convince me? Why don't you share what your top three movies of the year are? Okay. Um, so 
number two is going to be controversial. With, Ooh, uh, it's fucking Marmaduke. <laughs> and number three is going to be controversial because I said, hey, why don't we keep it to three? Because we probably don't see a lot of movies, uh, all of us. And then I was like, uh, I made it a tie. So, I'm so anyway. But I'm disappointed Whoa, okay. already that number one's not going to be controversial. Okay, here it is. Top three. For me, I chose Tar. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. My, uh, you okay. you recommended That's it earlier. Why is Tar in your top spot? Uh, I it's a movie that I walked out of being like, oh yeah, movies can do this. Like, yeah. I mean, and maybe it was uh, <laughs> was it, was it and movies I, can have a needle drop of dubstep at the end after seeing <laughs> an intro for Monster Hunter. <laughs> I think no, it's. I mean, maybe it's because I'm watching a bunch of junk, and my mind is all yeah. gunked up with junk, as Elliot probably would yeah. think about it. Because we were having a conversation just before we started recording about what about how he likes emotion and I like spectacle these days, and I like uh, I like a lot of bigness and a lot of uh, madness and uh, uh, visual flair and like just like you know I like a lot of spice. And Elliot's stomach, you know, doesn't handle the spice. He wants love. He wants emotion. He wants sadness. He deep wants heartbreak. I mean, yeah. A deep well of when I'm when yeah. I'm watching a movie, I want it to hit my heart rather than my tongue. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think that I tar is interesting in that I don't think it hits either the the heart or the tongue necessarily, but it does uh does something very. I mean, I it's a movie that it's, takes its time. I think it does time. hit the heart. I think it. I think yeah. it's. I mean. I'll just, I'll well, just. It, it hits the heart in a different way than I guess maybe the phrase hits yeah. the heart might Dan's suggest. Of, I guess that's- Dan's overriding fear of getting canceled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, here's, so I'm going to, I'm going to say, interrupting Dan, because he's taking a drink. I'm going to spoil her. Tar is on my top three also. Yeah. We're, I and mean, we're going to spoil a bunch of things and we're going to spoil our list in the process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, and Tar, I thought it was, I loved it because one, I, going into it also, I was like, I'm curious. This is the movie about getting canceled, I guess, but it's not about that. It's no, about it's not at all. This woman who is refusing to, refusing to kind of interact with other people's reality in a way that yeah. gives them yep. agency as human beings, and finds that she is dehumanizing herself in the process and destroying herself. And when I when I talk about movies hitting me in the heart, I don't necessarily just mean like movies that make me feel warm. Sure. In fact, often that's not what I'm looking for in a movie yes. because I get that from my family. I don't need it in my movies. So, mm-hmm. but the idea that a movie that where I'm connecting with a character emotionally, and the thing that I loved about Tar was I was like, this is a character I don't like, but I feel like I am living inside of her brain and inside of her feelings, and I am not necessarily understanding her, but I am living her experience. And when she is destroyed, I'm like. Yeah, spoiler alert, her life falls apart. When yeah. she's destroyed and her mind is uh, crumbling, I mean, I'm like, she is conducting, as I mentioned before, uh, an orchestral performance of Monster Hunter in front of a cosplay audience. For an audience, audience. Of, of cosplayers in Asia. Uh, <laughs> but, but there's this, part of me that's like, yeah, you. this is the this is the ending you you wrought, you know? But also, I think that it's interesting, and it's, it, 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 it creates this character who has done horrible things and is refusing to grapple with the fact uh, that she has sort of wreaked havoc in her wake. But it also, is like, I feel like too many, at least internet debates about movies, I know I should get off of it when it talks about movies other than uh, putting this podcast up, but, like, so much internet debate about it is, like, this character sucks, so I hate her and I don't like, you know, like, <laughs> and I think a movie like Tar shows that, yeah, you can see that this person has done bad things and maybe you don't like her, 
her or like uh, or I think, think arguably you deserves... shouldn't like her. Well, no. But, uh, <laughs> yes, if we can stop virtue signaling for a second, my point is. Well, no, I think that I think you you, you can to, you can you, you can empathize with her humanity. Yes. Yeah. is what I'm saying. She's a complex character. Where you can say like, yes, of course, she should face some sort of consequence, but there's something. Uh, that is lost in her destruction and you sort of hope that maybe she can figure out how to be a human too. Like you can have well, enough empathy to be like, yeah, you've been bad. I hope you get better. You well, know, you can, you can empathize with somebody who so, so clearly needs control in every aspect of their life and wants to conduct their life the way that they conduct an orchestra uh, and wants to you treat the people in her orchestra as tools to get to that end. You can empathize with that with that need and that desire and that hunger without being like, yeah, I guess I approve of everything she does. I guess yeah. she's a saint. Saint Tar. Make it Saint Tar's Day. Mm-hmm. I Wait, guess is that's that right after that Saint like, Anger's Day? It is. It's saint Anger's Feast, the Feast of Saint Anger, and uh-huh. then there's the Feast of Saint Tar. Yeah. That's what uh-huh. I'm trying to say. I feel like a lot of like uh, internet debate flattens it out where like it ignores the fact that you can empathize with a bad character in part because you can see that like everyone has the capability to be bad within them, mm-hmm. you know, and like you, Michael Jackson wrote a song about it. I don't feel like, I don't feel like there's enough. <laughs> as, there. as Homer once said, when kids say bad, they really mean good. And to shake one's booty means to wiggle one's butt. Allow me to demonstrate. <laughs> I just don't think that there's enough there but for the grace of God go I. Not that it's just the grace of God. Like, she did bad things. But there's also the, like, sense of, like, yeah, there's a whole spectrum of human behavior that we can, like, think about and, uh, you know, like, uh, pour over and, like, in our own minds and have feelings about that is ignored by movies a lot. And Tar didn't do that. Uh, and one of the things I loved about it was uh, I loved like the little like just visual cues as opposed to like telling you because she travels around. She travels around the world a lot. She's a real Carmen yeah. San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And luckily she got busted, unlike Carmen San Diego. <laughs> She's uh, a regular tar- Tarman San Diego. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it was a long walk, but it was worth it. Uh, <laughs> you got there. The, a long walk just like her walking with her suitcase away yep. from every airport. <laughs> uh, I love I love the little visual cues of things where you're like, like, oh, she's in New York now, or mm-hmm. oh, she's in uh, an Asian country now, or she's in Berlin. Like, I love, I love that stuff without having to tell you specifically. So you're like, oh, okay. So I'm gonna, I have to use my brain. <laughs> like, I gotta, I gotta use my brain a little in this movie. Yeah. Well, it's like the movie is. Its storytelling is is telling you you're gonna need to use your brain on this to figure it out moment to moment sometimes and also to figure out how you feel about it and like I think the thing that I maybe struck you guys that struck me so much about Tar is like Dan is saying it's a complicated movie at a time where I feel like I don't see a lot of at least big release complicated movies I see independent yeah. complicated movies or foreign sometimes complicated movies but it is I don't want I don't want to sound like a regular Marty Scorsese over here but I feel like a one of the detriments of the of comic books becoming the de facto model of narrative entertainment for mainstream popular entertainment for right now is that everything is good and bad. And yeah. this is, um, this is, and they're not, this movie is a movie that is not going to tell you how to think about this person, whether she is good or bad or, or what it, she is or how, you know, you have to figure out how you're going to feel about her. Well, also to your point that it's not actually a cancel culture movie. Like if the, if the, if the question of the movie is, should she lose her job and be punished? Then the answer is yes. Of course. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, losing of course. her job for the wrong reason is the, is, is but, the only real issue. Yeah. 
But if but the movie is not that it's a character study about a specific person, which is yeah. like the interesting thing about it. Yeah, you know what I like is that they cast Mark Strong in the movie, and he gets easily pushed over by Kate Blanchett. So his name is not correct. He is very not strong. I, I loved seeing Mark Strong as the wimpiest kind of like <laughs> like like just least impressive person, and like I thought it was such a funny performance from him. And I know, yeah. and I say that as someone who is much more like Mark Strong's character than he. The character's name is Elliot, I think, in the yep. in the movie. And so, and I was like, I thought I was of like, you I when I saw him. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, I can't be mad at this movie for basically making fun of me. Like, I love seeing Mark Strong in this role when they could have easily cast someone more who looks more like me you know who hasn't played the villain in in you know in franchise films before yeah uh, um, so tar great and i'll say yeah. one last thing about tar a movie is starting right off the bat with a interest deficit from me when it opens at a new yorker festival talk hosted <laughs> by adam gopnik and i tell you tar you won me back you yeah. won me back baby but that's also kind of the amazing thing about it it's like the movie trusts that it will like you will Take the time yeah, with yeah. it, including a long <laughs> expository Q&A at the beginning of and, the film. And all the credits up front, too, where you're like, yeah. yes. I, I watched I this was, at home, and I'm like, well, uh, you're really daring me to check my phone, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched, it, I watched a screener of it, and I was like, did I break this? <laughs> like, did I play am it backwards? Am I watching it backwards? <laughs> Um, should, should we go Red Robin rather than me just running down my ones? I don't know whether. Well, why don't we yeah, go meet guess. up at Red Robin and get ourselves a buffet meal? Is Red Robin a buffet? They're not restaurant? our sponsor, Elliot. Stop <laughs> fucking vlogging Red Robin at every opportunity. Bob, Bob, bobbing along. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What sure. We, uh, what, what, Elliot, I mean, why don't you jump in with your number one? I, I, to be honest, I had not really numbered mine. Perfect. Uh, I didn't, I'll, I'll just come right off the bat. I didn't see a lot of movies this year in the theaters. This was a rough year in a lot of ways for me. I don't need to get into all the details. Dan and Stewart are well aware of it because I've griped to both of them about it. This was not an easy year for me, and I did not make it to the movies that much uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, I think Tar might be my number one. But another one that I would possibly put at number one, which I did get to see in the theaters, was Everything Everywhere All at Once which I really loved. I think it's, if I have any complaint about the movie, it's just that there's too much of it. About 15 minutes before the ending, it's in I was the title. like, <laughs> I guess yeah. true. about 15 minutes before the end of the movie, I was like, movie, I'm full. It reminded me <laughs> uh, of, there was a time when, uh, when Danielle and I went out to an ice dinner. We don't, we didn't get to go out for a lot. And it was one of these restaurants where they're like, if you say it was small a plates. fucking Red Robin, I'm going to kick anyway, you off this call. No, no, it was that, it was that, Inc., uh, which I think has since closed, the Michael Voltaggio restaurant. And uh, we, or they're like, we just bring it out, small plates, one at a time, as ever they're ready. And we kind of filled up, and then we had forgotten that we had ordered steak as a main course. And by the oh, time the steak arrived, man. we were not hungry anymore. And I feel like everything, everywhere, <laughs> all at once is kind of like that, where a, 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 the movie was making me cry. And yep. then, uh, and, but then it kept going, and I was like, movie, you got me. You don't need any more. But that was one, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I liked uh, I thought it was funny and I thought it was exciting and I thought it was really touching and uh, Michelle Yeoh is so amazing in it and every, the rest of the cast is amazing in it too. Um, On know, some level, just, it feels really like Michelle Yeoh has always been amazing, right? Like, yes. And it's so great that she gets to be amazing in so many different ways in this movie. Yes. She's, a, she's an actress who, at the very least in English language movies, I feel like does not get a lot of opportunity to show range. Yeah. And she so, shows so much range in it. Um, and like, that was one where... I literally at work they said, uh, "Hey, actually, we don't need everybody until three hours from now." And I was like, 
is there a movie playing right now? And I looked up that mm. I was a 15-minute drive from a theater that was playing everything ever well at once in 10 minutes. And I raced over there and luckily got in just as the movie was starting because I nice. missed the trailers. And I was so glad that I saw that in the theater and uh, I really enjoyed it. So I yeah. think that's – if Tar is not my number one, then that's my number one. for the And end. that's a movie that uses everything too in the sense that like – Stuff that seems like it's just a joke at the beginning then becomes like unbearably moving by the end. Yeah, like, although it's, even it's that, there's a little, the I was it, like, I don't need to see the full arc for the raccoon, you know, I mean, <laughs> let alone that they stole the idea from me from an earlier episode, from the Doolittle episode of the Flophouse, but still. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, so Stewart, I'll, I'll go turn, on. I I, my number one of the year shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. I am a longtime avowed uh, Luca Guadagino stan, and Bones and All was uh, a triumph for me. It's beautiful. It is uh, a rare movie that captures the like beauty and isolation of the Midwest. Uh, it capture. It has that like again desperate romanticism that I'm a fucking sucker for. Uh, it's filled with like tiny little details and wacky performances that shouldn't work, but for me, everything works. Uh, yeah, it's just fucking great. That's the scariest yeah. I've ever seen. Uh, what's the name? Michael Stuhlbarg. Ever Michael Stuhlbarg. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. Him and David Gordon Green. <laughs> yeah, that was. And then I had to look it up afterwards, and I didn't even recognize that that was David Gordon Green until afterwards when I was reading about it. Uh -huh. I, the, I really, I really liked Bones and All a lot. I thought it was really great. And the only thing that kept it out of my top three, I think, is the fact that. Afterward, I was really under its spell, but then as the movie went is on, it, is it because you you don't like Sully? <laughs> do, <laughs> do not no, like. No, Sully, you're no, you're fine, Sully. Sully, you're fine. You I, I'll don't never like tell anybody. Sully? <laughs> <laughs> it's that I kept. I suddenly started comparing it in my head to Badlands, mm. which is a very similar mm. movie that I just love. And I was like, you know what, this movie's great, and I should not be comparing it to Badlands. But I I just kind of kept sticking. And I was like, it was like um, if Badlands. If I was trying to sell it to somebody, I'd be like, imagine if Badlands, instead of being kind of a slow, kind of poem-driven poem movie in a way, is a – Badlands is kind of like the best adaptation of an 80s Stephen King novel that Stephen King didn't write. Yeah, but it's, yeah. But it, and so – and I feel like it captures so many of those things so well. And it's a beautiful movie, but I, my head – my brain was just tripping me up on it for that. But I think it's a great movie. I, I – you know, this is a movie that I didn't – like quite as much, I mean, definitely not as much as Stuart. I don't think as much as you either, Elliot, when I was watching it. Although I think that part of that is that this was during the period of time where I was having toothaches because I eventually had to get a root canal. <laughs> so you so couldn't even think they, about chowing down on somebody's body. Every time they chomped on a on a, on a a carny hustler, you were like, oh, my teeth. Ah, if only I could do that, but I can't. It wasn't biting specific. It was just the general like fact that the nerve inside oh, my tooth yeah. was dying. I see. And off-gassing uh, like stuff that couldn't go anywhere because it was stuck inside my tooth. Anyway, gross. That's what happens. Um, I like but, that Dan's, Dan's root canal is the new Dan's ACL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not trying to complain about it. I'm just saying maybe that maybe <sighs> I don't love a movie <laughs> while I'm in tooth pain. Yeah. But uh, the other problem, I mean, but it's grown for me since I saw it. I just think that the basic problem for me was like. The tooth pain I don't, has grown for you? I don't necessarily sympathize with a pair of cannibals, no matter how in love they are. And I know that maybe I'm supposed to take it metaphorically, but I wasn't able to come up with a metaphor that adequately. I don't think. Made I don't even think. Feel, I don't think even on a even on a metaphorical level. To me, it is there are people who are they can't control their desires. This is something they biologically yeah. need, and they don't like it. They don't. They're not Sully, who who has who seems sure. to really love collecting hair and eating old ladies. But it's a uh, you know 
there's something they're they're driven to do this thing. And I have to admit, I also outside the there's I think there's part of me when I was younger that would have been like, oh, imagine being a monster. Wouldn't that be kind of cool in a weird way? Mm-hmm. But the thing that really struck me this time was like when they go to that town and they just kind of settle down and get jobs for a little bit. And I was like, oh man, to be a person, a young person in love with no ambition whatsoever, yes. who can just yeah. kind of do a crappy waiting job. Whose only then, ambition is to not eat people. Yes. Yeah. Like I can handle that. Like if that was my only ambition, I would be the happiest. I'd, I'd be living heavenly life. If I just had a job, I didn't care that much about the rest of my time is my own. And I just have to try not to eat people, which for me is very easy for them. It's a little different, but for me, that's a very easy <laughs> temptation to fight. Yeah. Uh, just, I was living like, your oh, best what, life, not what a fantasy. People. What a fantasy. <laughs> but instead, yeah. I'm I'm like Abraham Lincoln. I'm damned by, by ambition. Or I guess more like Samuel Beckett, since I think that was the name of – no, damned to yeah. fame was his was the biography of him. Anyway. Uh, Sam Beckett, the time traveler? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> and his friend Al. Uh, who, Al, who in that. a different life – You want to. <laughs> if, if this movie had been made back in the 80s – uh, he would have been fucking oh, great. Dean, Dean Stockwell, Stockwell would have been be incredible so as Sully. Movie. Perfect Sully. Perfect Sully. I mean, uh, Mark, um, oh, why am I forgetting his Mark name? Mark Rylance. Uh, Mike Rylance is also great in it. He's incredible. Sully, you're right. And but like, and Chloe Savini's yeah. great in it. It's. Yeah. Uh, I told- Dan, I, uh, Dan, I have a proposition for you. Dan, mm. if you wanted, yes. you could call me Al. But, 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 but <laughs> there's a catch. There's a catch. Uh, okay. You must allow me to call you Betty. But if I can okay. call you Betty, then Betty, I'm being presumptuous, but I'm calling you already, Betty, you can call me. He's Al. been working now, on this fucking Can we do some for- sort of <laughs> trade, <laughs> some bartering vis-a-vis, like one of us could be a bodyguard, and, and in, in return, there would be a pal sort of level of intimacy uh, that I would, would settle be- for a long, last, long lost pal. <laughs> it okay. would have to be a long lost pal, okay? But yes, um, I think that would be fair. Yeah. So no, uh, I wanna, I, okay. any final thoughts on Bones and All? <laughs> No, I, the, my final thought was just like when we talked about it, Stuart. I like I was talking about how when Mark Rylance first shows up, you're like, mm, is he putting too much mustard on this? Yes. And then by the end of the movie, you're like, okay, perfect amount of mustard. I think my only and my only other issue is it was when they're like bones and all. It's like that's impossible. Like there's no, unless you're grinding the bones into flour. Like what are you doing? Like there's no yeah. way it would take days. So, uh, anyway. Elliot, I, we're talking we about magic monster to, people. When we used to eat, uh, well, do this thing, in my old I, apartment, and you would uh, get Popeyes. The <laughs> the amount of bone that was but Dan, left. Those after, are chicken bones. Those are chicken bones. They're tiny. They splinter. That's why you don't give them to dogs. Human bones. They don't break yeah, that way. No, they're tiny. They're splintered. That's why you shouldn't have been eating them, Elliot. Yes. I was so worried every time. I'm like, this man is going to choke. Dan, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you weren't there. This you weren't there earlier today when I was having Popeyes lunch with Sam. While we watched The Last Jedi, you're having Popeye's lunch? He'll beat you up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please don't tell Popeye that it is lunch. What what was it like a shitload of spinach? Yeah. Well, this thing is, it was all spinach. So even if he tries to fight me, he's just an old man with no strength at this point. (laughs) Covered in olive oil? Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. Well, Spinach so covered slippery. in olive oil sounds so pretty good. Gra- it's like it's like in Bronson when Tom Hardy just starts covering himself <laughs> with the oil so that the guards can't grab him. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. such a good trick. Uh, with Popeye, you just got to stay in his blind spot, which is enormous because he's only got the one eye. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Dan, um, why don't you why don't you throw one at us? All right, I'll go to my. Oh, we got the uh, controversial number- takes. This is okay, a controversial good. Let's take. Get the controversy in. It might be recency bias, although I've now seen this movie twice because I went back to see it with Audrey and some friends who had not seen it. It is 
Babylon. I will not be taking tweets at me or <laughs> Dan, emails. Just, Dan, the only thing I'm mad about is I that you have the time in your life your to go opinion. to see a three-hour movie in the theater twice. <laughs> That's the only yeah, thing no, I'm mad about. To our listeners, look, I love you. You're wonderful. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being members of Maximum Fun. If you no are, change. I just don't need to. Like, if you didn't like Babylon, that's fine. I don't need to hear about it. That's great. It's fine. <laughs> but this is we can this, both feel this is the first one we talked is, about that I haven't seen yet. And I've only and and I'll uh, a full disclosure. I am as I almost never get to see a movie all the way through in one sitting. Yeah. I am halfway through Babylon right now, and what and I am I find that my take on it does not fall into either camp of what I've seen online. I am neither blown away by its wild spectacle, nor am I offended or disgusted by it. And, and you know what, Elliot? I all, I, uh, number one, I kind of guessed that maybe this wouldn't be for you, but also, like, I respect that. There are people who out there who outright hate hate this movie, and I just kind of don't get it. Well, here's my, the- here's my theory about some of it. I don't know all, I think part of it is, and Dan has said this many times in private conversations, I can't remember if he said in the podcast, that yeah. you think that, People are not used to weird things in movies or or wild or wild in tonal shifts. Wild tonal, like the, so things that are or, deliberately meant to throw someone off balance or overwhelm you are taken as bad when they yes. are not bad. They're just they're meant to have that effect. Yeah, it's I like a, like it's considered is, a plot hole. It's a cinema sin, if you will. Well, yeah, and exactly. also this this is not a movie with like a very like. Like in, in it has like straightforward character arcs, but it is not like a linear plot in the way that also people I think are, are come to have, have come to expect over the years. I mean, I don't know about that. From all, I mean, again, I'm only halfway through it, but I kind of wish yeah. it had a less linear plot. That's the it's, it's vis, visually style wise and pacing wise, it's so it's doing so many so many different things. But I want it, it story wise. I kind of wish it was a little less. I linear. guess what I mean is it's based around a lot of set pieces more than it is like yes, a, a story, and it also is like based so much about let's just be in this world for a while. Well, and here's, the, and here's the, what I think gets – and that gets to why I think the other reason it's gotten so much dislike from critics particularly is mm-hmm. I think there's a real possessiveness. I would even call it a nerdy possessiveness about both film history and the past. And I, I'll say this. I had to – Do we know anybody kind of, who's like a nerd for that shit? <laughs> no one I can think of. And there's part of me <laughs> – my watching it, I have to fight against the fact that I have my own idea of what the past of films was like. And the the – Historical inaccuracies that he's got going on, which he's doing relatively deliberately, I assume. Yeah, they are glaring to me in a lot of ways, and the way that he is presenting Hollywood as kind of pre-sound as kind of like this this wild nonstop chaos party carnival, which it was not at that time. But also, well, I'm going to say, but at the same time, like I have to fight against the fact that I now have an unpublished novel that someday I hope will get published about Hollywood in the 30s, and so I have my own personal sense yeah. of what that what the old time Hollywood was like, and I think a lot of critics are are not able to let go of that. And it's the same way that like when Michael Clark Duncan played the Kingpin in Daredevil, there were fans, comical fans who were like, Kingpin's not black. <laughs> Impossible. What? And a lot of those fans were racist, but not all of them. A lot of them were, some of them were just having trouble letting go of their own preconceived idea of what this this thing was. And I think a lot of film people are having that issue. That's my theorizing. Yeah. And uh, well, I would like to speak to that in the sense that I think, I also think that it's, brilliance to me is in part that it is inspired by these like tales of Hollywood, but it does not purport to be like an accurate depiction of that. It is like, like Kenneth Anger's book, Hollywood Babylon, from which this borrows the title Babylon, even though it is not a direct adaptation in any way. But it's very much a spiritual adaptation. It's the same kind of tone idea. 
Well, exactly. And it's, it's been it's been widely debunked a lot of the stories, but also even when it was published, it didn't purport to be the truth. These were rumors and innuendo that he had accrued um, I mean, and put into a book, if, and sometimes just was, made up. Certainly, um, the, certainly the copy I read when I was a college student in two thousand or whatever was said on the front like the 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 like the hair raising true tales of Hollywood past or something okay, like that. Like, okay, at a okay. certain point, I don't think Kenneth Anger says this is this is diehard truth, but I think the legend right. grew up around it. You know. Well, okay, but uh, anyway, to get to my point, finally at the end of this road, it's uh that like I think that Babylon sort of exists in this world that is like okay, what if all of the legends and tall tales of Hollywood, Hollywood, like both like. Were you about to say Holly weird? I that was just my dumb tongue. Let me okay. make my point. <laughs> <laughs> all the legends, like both good and ecstatic and like crazy parties and like all that stuff and bad, like the sad stuff, like oh, a Hollywood and old Hollywood where those were literally true. We're presenting this world where what if all the tall tales and rumors were like this zany thing that was going on, on all the time because of a sort of print the legend feel of like this captures something about Hollywood that a literal historical truth doesn't, you I know, think, and I, think I, that's I, I don't think true. it's trying to pretend to be like more historically true than it is, you know, well, I because think part it of the, fictionalizes it. I think that's true. But I think part of the issue is also that he's truncated the timeline of Hollywood quite a bit. A lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that Kenneth Anger is writing about is, is early twenties and kind of late teens and kind of mid middle, t- middle twenties, as opposed to yeah. the era of what started getting to me was there's that scene, that big set piece where they're shooting in the desert and there's an army and they're running around and there's all yeah. sorts of trouble and people are getting killed. And it's like, well, by 1926, 27, that's not how movies were made anymore. Like movies, this was a, this was a big business that was done industrial style, you know? And so I think he's doing stuff for effect because then he wants to contrast that with the sound era where it is in sound stages and it's much more controlled or whatever. Everything's but locked off because of the, where the sound is. Yeah. But it's, and it's, I think that's poking at the same place that got me mad when I saw Mank where they're like, we don't like make movies like the Wolfman here. And it's like, well, the Wolfman didn't exist yet. That was a movie that was made 10 years later. I think, and I have to say it, Dan, the, the movie that Babylon most reminds me of in a lot of ways is Mank. I hate, oh, to, wow. I hate to yank your crank, no, but, but it, it really feels like Mank. Don't, don't yank my Mank crank because the thing about <laughs> Mank is Mank purports to be the purports true story and then tells yeah. a bunch of lies. Like this movie, like the beauty of it is like, I like there's not even like Marion Davies is like briefly mentioned in passing, you know, like, but like for the most part, even the characters that are like analogs, direct analogs for people are not those people. You know, it is, it is a wildly fictionalized, like rumor mongered version of history that then also becomes, I think, very touching by the end, although I will not spoil it for you. I'm looking forward to the end. I think the other thing that's kind of getting to me about it again, I haven't finished it yet, so it's unfair of me to talk about it is that. I feel like I think, and this might be another thing that critics kind of get have have riled up their feathers, you know, is yeah. that it kind of doesn't so far, at least in the first half, it hasn't shown why anyone likes movies, and it's so much <laughs> more about uh, the crazy Hollywood aspect. Of if it, only a never, movie showed us the magic of cinema this year. Well, but yeah. that's, but so like here's the here's the thing. I'm gonna jump ahead to my number three choice. Which is which might be controversial because it's it's not an exciting choice. Which is the Fablemans, where mm. it, it opens with them going to see the greatest show on earth, a dumb movie, 
a very dumb movie, yeah. which and which did play a big part in young Steven Spielberg's life. But they're watching it, and he feels driven to recreate the train crash scene because it terrifies him so much, but he wants to be a part of it. And I feel like that movie made me feel it like I was like, yeah, that is what it feels like when you kind of fall in love with movies for the first time. And I want a little bit more of that from the beginning of Babylon so that it's not just people it's just not just naked extras dancing around and me being like, oh, how long did that woman have to dance naked while they shot yeah. that this tracking shot over and over again? I want to get a little bit more of that magic in there because that's what hits me in the heart. Well, Elliot, even though you're dragging me down, I'm going to lift you up and say that I also really like The Fablemans. It was one of my, you know, four and a half or five star letterbox reviews for the year. I, I like. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with you on The Fablemans because, like, I walked out of that being like, oh, a movie, a movie made by a person who knows how to make a movie. It does like, feel like a. It felt like a, a movie in a way. Uh, yeah, I kind of had a similar feeling where I was like, oh, that's like what. That's what like the kind of movie that like. My parents used to be like, oh, you should see this movie. And then they'd yeah. show it to me and I'd be like, oh, that was really good. I'm going to tell you something. This fucking Stevie Spielberg kid knows where to put the camera and how to move it around, how to move the actors around. It's like, I, I feel like I had a couple experiences a like that this year where I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, this guy knows how to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, I, I saw Avatar 2 and I'm like, you know what? This fucking dude knows how to make this kind of movie. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, like <laughs> Avatar 2, like a movie that, Essentially, has like a lot of goofy, dumb, dopey stuff in it. But because he knows how to make Dan, a are movie, you fucking it talking works. shit about Spider now. I told you not to talk <laughs> shit about Spider. <laughs> yeah, the feral kid who <laughs> looks like thirty three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though he he is actually quite young, the actor, but. And it his is, last name is, is Champion, I think, which is perfect because he's a champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no, so but the Fablemans. Uh, before we go oh, on to the Fablemans, oh. I just want to say, oh. Dan, can you get? I have not seen a lick of Babylon. To wrap yeah. up Babylon, can you give me a very concise pitch as to why I should watch it? Um, tempo, tempo, like Damien Chazelle, like the thing, like the Whiplash director, yeah. like the beautiful thing about it is, like it's made up, as I said, of a bunch of set pieces. Mm -hmm. It has set pieces that are unrelenting and uh, 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 abrasive and it has set pieces that slowly ramp up and that has comedic set piece. I like, I think that it is sort of masterfully paced despite being okay. three hours long. I almost feel like it would be more effective for me, at least as a movie, if it did not have continuing characters and it was more like the French dispatch where it's like almost a one man anthology of, scenes set yeah. during this weird time in Hollywood. This is not a time to be a detractor, Elliot. I just need to know why people should <laughs> see Dan's number, what, number two of the year? Uh, well, it also, I mean, like, it has the same, the exact same, like, arc and beats as uh, Goodfellas and Boogie Nights both. So yeah. I was imagining a, a a triple feature of all of them and, like, what a roller coaster of, like, <laughs> up and down emotion oh, it no. would be. And, I mean, I guess that's the other thing about, again, I haven't finished Babylon, but, like, I kind of know where the story is going because there's only one. It's yeah. not, the story is not going to end with them having the greatest successes of their lives and they, become, and they become happy people. Like, but there's, because that's not the way Hollywood stories go. And there's just part yeah. of this, like, okay, Damien Chazelle, you found a new way to tell the same story Hollywood has been telling about itself <laughs> since the silent era when mm -hmm. they were making movies about how 
or like the original Star is Born in the 30s. You know, that's why like I should that. love it, Elliot. It's like a movie from I the, know. But it makes the me, distant the same, past. The same way that Bones and All made me think about Badlands, this makes me think about the novel The Day of the Locust, which I just mm. reread earlier this year and which is such a great novel about kind of the same themes, you know, but from a different point of view. But uh, so I guess what I'm saying is there's always a better version of a thing that got made now. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Go see the old version. Yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. Et cetera, now I do et sound like a regular Marty Scorsese. There's nothing new under the sun except for the tremors. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, there's evil under the sun when Peter Ustinov is around. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, so <laughs> why, don't, why don't we move on to The Fablemans, an, another movie I haven't had a chance to see yet. Elliot, tell me about the why, – why is The Fablemans in your top three? So The Fablemans is a movie that go, I was – uh, I was like, all right, how is this going to work out for me? Because I have to admit, I've gone through a period, like I think many film-going men of my age have gone through, where Steven Spielberg goes from being the greatest director in the world to being someone you don't take seriously. I call it the Stan Lee arc, where someone does amazing work for a period in their career, then they have stuff that's not quite up to that level, and you start to dismiss them. And then at the end of their career— you remember, oh yeah, they're a legend. Like there's a reason they're a legend because they made, because it doesn't matter if I didn't like the terminal because he made <laughs> E.T. Like that. So, and the Fablemans is a not as fictionalized as you would think telling of yeah. Steven Spielberg's youth and how he got into movies, but even more than that, how his family fell apart because of the relationship between his parents and his conflicted relations with both of those parents and his conflicted relationship between his family and film as a young man. And I felt like it was a story. It was one of those movies that feels like a novel because it's not a one, two, three story. But at the same time, it didn't feel like one of those movies where you're like, it's a movie, but it's more of a novel. And that means it's bloated and the characters don't go anywhere and things like that. There's some real funny parts, but there's a lot of really, uh, emotional parts that show a depth that Spielberg kind of doesn't let himself go to as often, which he's really capable of. And it feels, it's the first time in years that I feel like I've seen a Spielberg movie and I'm like, this is a movie he needed to make and only he could make. And for me, it's yeah. right up there with like, maybe, I don't know if it's quite up there actually, but it's, clo- it's get it's, th- there's this world of like filmmakers making movies about why they are filmmakers. Yeah. And the best of those is probably like eight and a half, I guess. And this is not eight and a half, but it is, it's a worthy entry into that genre. Of For a second, I thought you were talking about themselves. eight millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> eight millimeter with Nicolas Cage, which is really about why we're, why we're filmmakers. This, 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 <laughs> is why, this is why we're all filmmakers, to make yeah, snuff because, films. Because all you, need to do, all you need to make a film is just to, to kill a woman on camera and then, have, and then hide it in a rich man's vault for decades. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I was surprised seeing Fablements. Like I I thought it would be more magic of the movie stuff, and I was surprised at how much it it turns a very honest eye on his early life. And he's like, it's stuff that he like clearly has processed, and also you know he has Tony Kushner to help him shape it. One of the the best uh, dramatists in the world. But like, yeah, although there's some, and I, I was wondering if it's Kushner's influence or Spielberg's. There's a couple speeches at the end of the movie where characters suddenly become very self aware of yeah. their point, their place in the film, and I'm like, no, that's true. Wait a minute, guys. There's no way that he he said that something like that. But I do, I do think that the, it, it, there's a lot more pain in it and like yes. raw nerve, like actual reality in it than I expect out of Spielberg. Kind of in general and it is a movie about movies that not only exalts movies but interrogates like what it is to live your life when with you know like a camera in between you and everything 
that's yeah. going on in your life. It, yeah, it's very much about that. That's a good point. And it's and it's also a good-looking movie. It's a colorful movie in a way that yeah. I feel like sp- the last few movies of Spielberg's that I saw were like kind of gray. You know, well, him and, him and, yeah. Did you, well, I mean, I feel like last year, West Side Story was, you know, for all, West Side all, for all its faults, yeah. is like one of the few, like, you should see this on the big screen movies of the year. Yeah, yeah. And Fablemans, I don't think you need to see it on the big screen necessarily, but it's but it but it feels and looks like a movie. Just because it's an intimate story doesn't mean it is shot in a way that feels like television or without not without that same level of kind of like just thought that Spielberg <clears throat> at his best puts into where to put a camera and how to cut a scene and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know. And it's a lot more I think brisk and fun than the trailers would suggest. Yes, yeah. I agree. And it puts the okay. brisk in brisket as I'm always, <laughs> at, at this point in my life, I'm happy to see any Jewish family on screen that feels r- realistically Jewish to me. And I was have like, you, oh yeah, this have, family feels what's Jewish What's her face? The woman who's like uh, Elaine May's daughter is so funny in that movie as one of the grandmothers. Yeah, yeah. Have Have either of you guys seen uh, Armageddon Time yet? No, not yet. No. I, that's just, on my screener pile. Because I'm, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on Jeremy Strong's Jewish father performance. <laughs> I'm curious about it. I, I hear I, it's I fun. I, I, I hear it's fun. I hear he <laughs> takes a big swing. Um, so well, that's, that's the thing is when when my when the other Jew, when the other big Jewish performance I saw recently was Amsterdam, where I was like, "What is this? <laughs> what is going no. on here?" <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I guess to, to move on from Fablemans, I would say my second place of the year, uh, was another film that while I was watching it, I definitely felt like I was in the hands of a capable director. I was like, this guy's making a movie and that's Decision to Leave, Park Chan-wook, a boy who, as I've said, makes bangers. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it's like, like Dan has pointed out, it's not as visceral as a lot of his other movies, but I feel like that's part of the appeal. It is like, you could, you could distill it and say that it's just vertigo set in South, you know, set in Korea, uh, that it's, uh, that it's about a detective who forgets how to do his job because he meets a woman who's too hot. (laughs) Um, but it's just got like, it's filled with so many tiny little details. It's filled with details that me, an English speaker, wouldn't notice because they're like language-based details about where you wouldn't know that one of the, like one of the woman's character arcs is that, or one of her traits is that she is not a native Korean speaker. So her Korean is like accented and people will think of her differently. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Like it's filled with so many tiny little details up to the, the point that like, like uh, the 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 woman's fucking wallpaper has at first you think it looks like like you look at her wallpaper that looks like mountains, but it's actually cresting waves. And the whole movie begins with mountains and ends with waves. It's nuts. Uh, there's so many tiny little details in it, and it's great, and I love it. And again, it's another film that's like about like a desperate romantic and like this seeking for longing, uh, this like longing for a connection. And uh, in this case, a connection that once it's like once it's found for one person, uh, it's dead for them. Like when one person stops falling, uh, being in love with a woman, she then starts to fall in love with him. It's amazing and sad. And I loved it. Uh, It's great. And it's a movie that Uh, grew in my uh, in my uh, opinion as time went on. Grew from the Despicable Me movies? Yes. Yeah. Thank Stuart, you, the, the forget <laughs> forgets his job because the woman is hot. You're quoting a tw- tweet, right? I, don't, I am. Yeah, like I'm quoting a tweet. I think it's very funny. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, I just didn't want. I like. I I knew that, and I think you knew that. You assumed that all people knew that because I knew it, but I didn't want it to seem like we were just stealing material from. I'm not uh, going to steal someone's some, material. Uh, yeah, you're right. Thank s- you. Someone else. It is funny um, how many movies that describes, though. I mean, like that's also the plot of Laura, the film yeah. noir, and, and yeah. he he only sees her as a painting. Yeah, that's that's one hot paint. Well, that's the back before we had. That know, sounds like a hot painting. Like, you just look at a painting and you're like, <laughs> "That's what." I mean, that was the whole thing with the Mona Lisa. Is that in in Renaissance Italy, guys were just forgetting how to do their jobs left and right because they saw that painting. Uh huh. But with that smile, they're like, "With that <laughs> smile, you know, she knows what to do." Yeah. It's, well, they would they would see the painting and then they would look around and point themselves like, "Me? Are you? <laughs> are you look smiling this- at me?" Okay, and then they try and leave with her, and the guard would stop them. But yeah, yeah, because there was still a guard at. There's at, still a guard back the then. He's doing his job, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't want to kiss at a painting. You got a guy's coming in here trying to kiss at a painting. That's what he would say. That's what they sounded like. I have thoughts about decision to leave Stuart, but I'm saving them a little further down the road. Okay, that's a spoiler. That's <laughs> okay, a, that's okay. A, that's a. I guess we'll meet decision to leave at the crossroads, so you won't be lonely. <laughs> My fellow graduates, for 500 episodes, my podcast, The JV Club with Janet Varney, has gathered story after story of all the scandalous things we've done throughout our childhoods. Wait, what's happening? Stories like how Jamila Jamil survived a horrific house party and she was on crutches. This is great. Or how Hal Lublin learned a Shakespearean monologue in his pajamas. This is not the speech we approve. Without your love and life tragedies, there would be no podcast. In fact, I'll have an exclusive look at how Maggie lost. Lawson's mom confronted her after a sneaky basement meetup with her crush. Spill the tea, JV. Security! Uh, uh, listen to the JV Club with Janet Varney Thursdays on Maximum Fun! Class of forever! Hey, I'm Ben. And I'm Adam. We host a show called Greatest Trek on Maximum Fun that covers all the new Star Trek shows, Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, Picard, Prodigy, Discovery, and any other new Star Trek show Paramount throws at us. Come find out why we're the most important Star Trek podcast on the internet with our funny, (laughs) informative recaps of all the new Star Trek shows that Paramount keeps churning out. Subscribe to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. The Flophouse is sponsored in part by members, uh, in large part, in overwhelmingly large part, sorry, I went on autopilot there, in overwhelmingly large part, by listeners, uh, members of Maximum Fun. If you uh, want to join, go to maximumfun.org slash join. But we also uh, take advertisements, including Jumbotrons. This Jumbotron is from Think Outside the Box Set. And they say, Think Outside the Box Set is the Internet's only hot take machine. Join us Maddie and Cameron every week as we review the discographies of artists that are misunderstood, unrecognized, or dismissed. Start at season 25 to hear us in our full trans and gender nonconforming glory as we aim our gay agenda at the music of Nirvana. Or start at the beginning and listen to our eggs slowly crack for five years as we listen to Garth Brooks, ICP, Alanis Morissette, and many more. Ooh. So that is uh, Think Outside the Box Set. You can subscribe to Think Outside the Box Set wherever you get podcasts. That sounds absolutely delightful. Uh, 
That was a great ad read, Dan, but step aside because Elliot's got something exciting to plug. Face front, floppers, because in less than two weeks, on Wednesday, January 18th, you'll be able to walk into your local comic book shop and demand a copy of Maniac of New York, Don't Call It a Comeback, number one, the third volume in the Maniac of New York saga. That's right, it's the start of a whole new Maniac story. New thrills, new chills, new kills, and maybe a new Maniac? We'll see. With all the horror and satire you've come to expect from the team of electrifying Elliot Kalin, Andrea Masterpiece Moody, and terrific Taylor Esposito. So on Wednesday, January 18th, don't forget to tell your local comic shop owner, make mine maniac by going to the comic book store and buying Maniac of New York. Don't call it a comeback. Number one, January 18th from Aftershock Comics. And now back to the podcast. Okay. So Dan, you tease us with another, another hot take. Uh, yeah. What's, uh, what else? What else? <laughs> No, it's not a hot take. I was just uh, chastising myself for breaking the rules. But I think this fits in in an interesting way because, as I said, like, as Elliot pointed out, I like maximalist filmmaking a lot of the time. I like it when a movie is throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and uh, balancing a lot of, I don't know, eggs on top of straws on top of chairs. What, what you know, what people do that, people do. probably. Yeah. Um, and Babylon for me is that maximalist thing. Tar is the other side where I do like, I mean, like that is a movie that is doing a lot of stuff. It is not like a movie without style. It has a tremendous amount of style, but it's a very patient movie. It's, it's very, it is minimalist in ways. And so you were saying as Dan is darling, you do know why you go to extremes too high or too low. I, yeah, I there do ain't no to, in between. Yeah. Well, but I'm going to find some in-betweens for my number three. It's a tie. Uh, it's two horror movies. Love it. Uh, both uh, do wild stuff. One's a lot funnier than the other, which is sad. But it's Barbarian and Resurrection. And I think both of these movies, an interesting thing about them is they are patient until it's time to not be patient. And then they unleash some of the wildest shit you'll see in horror movies. And for both of them, I don't necessarily want to say too much about it, but they were my, like, two, like, fun, spinning off the rails, but still in control, surprise yeah. horror movies of the year. Did you did you see either of these, Elliot? I saw Barbarian. I haven't seen Resurrection. Okay. So if there's yeah. any, so I'd rather you not release the spoilies. Mm -hmm. uh, for that one, but Barbarian, I I saw, and I that was one of my uh, I, that was in my not in my top three other favorites category. Yeah, uh, when it when it was working for me, it was really working for me. I have to by the end of the movie, I had felt it kind of like had become a little bit less than the the sum of its parts. But uh, but it certainly it was one of the few movies I've seen recently where something would happen. I'd be like, that's not what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that gets a lot of points from me. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was really what it, like. The trailer does a good job of not only setting up the movie that you kind of imagine it might be, but then setting you up to think like, oh, I know where this is. The surprise is probably going to go or whatever. Like, and then the surprise, I think, of Barbarian is how wildly different it turns out to be. And, you know, I'm ruining it by saying that, I guess. But I, I don't know. Just like, Bar like Tar, Barbarian kind of, but in a less overt way. I feel like with Tar, you know right off the bat, this is this is a cold character. With, with Justin Long's character, it's like Barbarian 
keeps giving you reasons to think that he's going to become a better person, and then he yeah. continues to not do it. Uh, and I was yes. like, I really, I really admired the movie for being like, yeah, this guy is not going to suddenly, he's not going to change. Like this is. Mm. Well, there was, yeah, there, I mean, I think that's an interesting point. I was talking to somebody who said he didn't like Barbarian because he's like, I can't believe you're supposed to be sympathetic toward Justin Long's character, and I'm like, I think you're misreading the movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. you understand what the what's going on in that movie. Yeah, I mean, y- you can sympathize with. He won't even just be the baby. He should just be the baby, everybody. <laughs> well, that's, that's that. You, that you can sympathize with any character whose life is in danger, <laughs> at, at a at a certain point, you know, at a certain level. But I don't think you're supposed to sympathize with that character. Although I, I will feel also barbarian. I read a piece afterwards, and this is that uh, was like. How come the scariest thing in horror movies these days is naked women's bodies? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That is the movie gets a fair amount of like scare value out of a character with no clothes. <laughs> mm. And it was like, I did feel a little bit bad afterwards after thinking about Guys, that. Guys, like, I have a question. Yeah. I, what if I both what if understand? The, <laughs> what if she got after she got canceled? Tar had to go back to the barbarian house. <laughs> yeah, it's called Tarbarian. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that'd be so funny if the scene in Tar where she goes back to her childhood home, she goes back to that house, goes down into the basement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Seems like you forgot where you're from. Blah, 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 blah. Elliot, what I wanted to say was I can see where that article is coming from on the one hand. On the other hand, it's not just a naked body. It's a like eight foot <laughs> Oh, mutant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who's, who's, who's a murderous? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think we can draw some it's a, lines. It's a, we can all agree it's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, albeit a sympathetic one in certain ways that, sure. you know, let's not get into. Sure. But, uh, Just, like, you know, it's like, and I think, I mean, that the movie. The movie does a great job of making you as the viewer, I feel, more sympathetic with the monster than with Justin yes. Long, which yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And yeah, uh, Resurrection's okay. great. I mean, that's a, that is a, that's a movie with two, like, world-class performances. Yeah. Uh, and you don't, get, you don't get that in a lot of horror movies where with uh, Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. It's just incredible. Yes, yes. That is the, re- I mean, even if, it, you know, for people who maybe won't, want to go the places the movie is going to take them. Uh, I, I'm being vague, obviously. Uh, like, I think even those people probably would enjoy the performances yeah. uh, in, in the film. That's one I've got to see. I got to put it on the top of my list. Yeah. When I finish Babylon. I got a number three, and I also have an honorable mention. Uh, I have one more honorable mention, but you go first with your with your number three. And number your three, mention. perfect. Uh, so number three for me is a movie that, again, uh, makes me fall in love with the magic of cinema. Uh, that's Nope. Uh, Jordan Peele's uh, like horror comedy action adventure movie uh, that was not exactly what I expected it to be. Uh, and it wasn't just because of twists or turns. It was just like I didn't expect it. Uh, like the marketing kind of uh, misled me maybe or maybe my brain doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer are so charming. And then he throws in a Keith David cameo and a Michael Wincott cameo and uh, an alien design that I have never even considered. Uh, It's like beautiful and fun and scary. And yeah, it's just fucking great. Uh, Yeah. And there's a fucking Akira bike slide in the movie. Jesus. I'm going to toss out a theory here, which is just that, like, I think that of late, a lot of the movies I've loved, including Nope, um, 
you know, have been the ones that have surprised me in some dramatic way. And I think that for a while, like movies were so obsessed with this idea of like twists and surprising people through twists and people want twists. And number one, that's they a made very a whole hard dance thing. about it. Yeah. <laughs> said, Come yeah. on, baby, let's do this. <laughs> I um, mean, they, they even made a whole movie about it called Twister. <laughs> yeah. But number one, like twists are a very hard thing to pull off well because they're like so entirely like based on plotting and whether the audience is going to think that you played fair with them or whatever and so you have to be fair while still it, it's just it that's hard but number two like we got to a point where twists became so frequent that now like everyone's ahead of them or trying to anticipate them yeah whereas these movies that are this new crop that I'm talking about seem to have discovered new, deeper ways in being unexpected. Like to realize that it doesn't have to be like this narrative, like gotcha surprise, but maybe just like go about how we're going to structure the narrative or, or like literally like let's take this narrative in a different direction than we've seen before. And it's not a twist. It's just, yeah, let, let's be a little more creative people. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. It seems nonplussed by uh, no. I mean, I, I don't. I don't want to rain on your guys' parade. I actually, found, I actually, uh, one of the categories that Stuart uh, suggested to us was biggest disappointment. I actually was mm. pretty disappointed in Nope. Oh, I felt like wow. I, I, I had real high hopes for Nope. Doesn't nope quite hopes. rhyme, but almost. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it just kind of like there were so many things I liked in it, and like you're saying, the, all the stuff you named, like the performances in it are great. I love that creature design. I love that Akira bike slide. There's a lot of things I like in it, but for me, it was like a lot of elements swirling around that I couldn't quite find the connections to. And it kind of never, it never really hung together for me. Um, So it just kind of didn't, it just didn't do it for me, but I don't want to, I don't want to tell you guys that you're wrong to feel that way about it because you're not. This is, this is just my take on it, you know. But that's instructive too, because I think this comes down to like, uh, uh, for me at least, you know, I don't know how Stuart feels like, like the things that I have discovered about like, talking to you about movies and talking to Stuart about movies, like what our personal tastes are. Mm-hmm. Like I almost like it better when a movie like throws out a lot of things that like, you know, uh, provoke ideas within me and then refuses to tie them together. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause I'm the like, the sort of thing yeah, that I would hate as a teenager like, where I'm like, I need it all to make sense. Well, and it's not even a matter of making sense. It's more of a because uh, I and as 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 Dan knows, I'm also a Talking Heads fan, and they told me to stop making sense. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. said, "Okay, sir, I won't make sense anymore." Raspberry dishwasher, bubblegum <laughs> duck. Uh, yep. but the, <laughs> hard way to live your life, but I did. It makes it, for it six very years. hard to do anything or to hold down a job. Yeah. But I will not make sense, sir. <laughs> I, I think it was more like um, I feel like. Jordan Peele is kind of moving in a direction with, and he hasn't made that many movies, but he's kind of moving in this direction of each movie being a little bit less tightly constructed in a traditional way, I guess. Because certainly, Nope is very constructed. Like, he's telling you the story as he wants to tell it to you, and the structure is there. Mm -hmm. But there is, the, uh, maybe maybe I'm being too traditional-minded, but I'm like, I'm curious to see how the story about this chimp is going to tie up with the story of this uh, this thing. Oh, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, maybe it does on a thematic level that I'm not quite getting into at the moment, but that's okay. But uh, I feel like I'm curious to see 
what he does next, whether he continues in that direction, because I think if he goes even further with it, I might like it more. Yeah, At that right. point, that. when he's making movies that are almost like Valerie's Week of Wonders, that are just like surreal happenings, you know, uh, yeah. that, that you can dig into rather than, I mean, I'm the guy who, who recently recommended Fruit of Paradise on the, on the podcast, which is a movie where like you, you really have to be digging in hard to find the, yeah. to find the story in it. And so I think it's more like right now, I think he's a little t- too betwixt between for me and I want him to go in one direction or the other, but that's just, again, my personal taste. The, every, no, his say, movies I, are from a, from a technical point of view and from a storytelling point of view, he's, it's, he, it's amazing. He's doing amazing work, you know? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I agree in that. Like, I think that the, like the narrative messiness that is there like is genuinely narratively messy and is connected on a thematic level. Like, yeah. like he's yeah, interested yeah. in like doing these things, making the thematic connections rather than making it express. And uh, for me, he successfully marries that then to like big budget Hollywood filmmaking, but I can understand like, it's not my aesthetic, but I can understand someone being like, I want it to be tighter. Like yeah. I well, want even, it to be even like, just like, there was a certain point where I was like, Man, I don't. I'm not quite sure why they're so intent on getting a picture of this thing. Like, yeah. and I and I was like, they're really risking their lives to do this uh, when they don't have to. There's no reason that they have to. And I feel like in a more traditional movie, which might not have improved it, you'd have like they got to clear their name or some dumb reason yeah, yeah. that they have to do it. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I'm not I'm not saying they should have done that. But there's a certain point where it's like when they're when they're when they're dying, where I'm like, this seems like it's more trouble than it was worth <laughs> to, yeah. get, to get this thing. <laughs> Yeah, I feel. I mean, again, I feel like that's part of the charm, and I feel like uh, having been swept up in the movie, I feel like it all makes mm-hmm. that makes sense to me uh, in the context of the movie. But yeah, I, I get that. Uh, my, it's another one that I wish I'd seen. I'd, I'd seen. I wish I'd seen the theaters. It was yeah. one of the rare ones that I got to sit all and watch it all the way through. But I'm still watching it at home and not not in that cocoon of unreality that is. A film make a film viewing experience. Yeah, especially yeah. those like oh, the opening moments with the fucking chimp in a the- like a full theater of people, yeah. like not knowing yeah. what to expect was really great. I that was great. Um, and my and my honorable mention is another genre movie, and that was a huge surprise to me, and was probably the most like fun I had. Uh, watching a movie and that is Prey, the Predator uh, movie. It's so much fun. It's filled with like oh shit moments. It's the first time I've seen like a Predator movie in a, you know, since what, the first Predator. Uh, sorry, Predator 2. Um, where I was like, no, oh no, shit, I re- I watch it do all these, re- fuck, use all its fucking toys. I rewatched Predator 2 recently and that movie is, <laughs> it's one, bonkers, and two, super racist. Yeah. Like everything about it is super racist. Uh, yeah, it's really great. If you're, if you are on the fence and you're like, I'm not sure, uh, yeah, like, you're not going to see – I don't think you're going to see a better, like, action horror movie this year than Prey. Uh, and Amber Midthunder gives an incredible performance. Like, she holds that whole movie down. And the dog lives. Sorry to spoil it, but the dog lives. <laughs> it's an important thing. Uh, and, yeah, there's a there's a specific action sequence uh, where the Predator j- is just going fucking nuts. And it rules <laughs> – yeah, I really liked Prey too. I thought it was that was on my on my biggest surprise list where I didn't I didn't expect it to I didn't expect to like it as much as I did and then I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. Uh Elliot, you have an honorable mention? 
My other honorable mention is the the other the other big hit of the summer, Triple R. That's right, RRR, the uh, the Indian uh, action adventure movie that is at the re- that there's so many fun scenes in it, and it's so high energy and all that stuff. And I, I know that like there are a lot of Indian film fans who are like, you think that's original to RRR? They do it in this movie, in this movie too. And I'm like, that's true, but there's a lot of it in this. There's a lot of movie here, and you still get to have a fight scene where a guy's on another guy's shoulders running around for the whole time, and and a scene where a guy unloads a a cart full of animals to attack British soldiers in the same movie that there's a huge dance competition number uh, that goes on for. A lo- very long time. I actually and, uh, literally just started watching that movie today. I'm like an hour in because I wanted oh no, to do I don't a double. Ruin for you. I wanted to do a double feature that I call Tar RR. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they're two very different movies. Uh, it's, it's but a yeah, super- the, like the whole sequence, like you don't get the fucking you don't get the opening credits until 40 minutes in. Like it's like drive yeah. my car level, and those <laughs> opening credits turn into a fucking friendship montage, which is amazing. <laughs> It is. It is one of these movies that it is so. It rem, what it re, reminds me so much of is Hong Kong action movies from the '90s, where you'd have these super like big brutal action scenes, and then you'd have a scene where two guys are just crying over how much they love being friends. Yes, <laughs> and, and it really makes me wish that the heroes in American action movies were able to show emotion much more. Mm-hmm. The only the thing Man that bumps this down to these two guys and, have yeah. incredible chest hair. The thing that bumps it down to me for honorable mentions is that at the end of the movie, there's a long song number that feels like that after the, after the story is over, they have this kind of epilogue wrap up musical number about the strength of the Indian nation that starts to feel very like, um, not, not a, what's the word for it? Not inclusive to all the people who live in India, basically the current government India. And by the end of it, it feels very much like, no, this is what we do. India, we have all, look at all these great heroes of Indian nationalism who are all Hindu. None of them are Muslim. And Gandhi is not here because he was not, uh, he was not as on board with this as we were. So like by the end of the movie, I was like, wait a minute, did I get tricked into watching propaganda? Cause there's all these great action adventure scenes in it. Yeah. And so I kind of felt like, uh, like, wait a minute. Did you sucker me in with a scene where a guy unleashes a tiger on somebody? Am I watching a Michael Bay movie? Yeah, so there's a there's this, and I think part of that comes from there can be a really exciting thing to watching a foreign movie that is meant for a foreign audience, where they are not like, well, this is the movie that's going to be big in America, and so we're going to do it American style. If you're watching the movie that is meant to be watched by an Indian audience that that wants that, that there's sometimes where you kind of like, I can feel myself stumbling into uh, into frames of reference that are not necessarily my own, and I'm like, am I am I like enjoying something that is not totally okay, that I wouldn't feel totally okay about if I was fully aware of everything yeah. going on in it. And so there's, that's the only reason it's, it's an honorable mention because otherwise it's a real thrill ride. Buckle up, Stu, because you got a lot to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, I can't you, wait. Have you not seen the dance competition scene yet? No, I think I'm just about to start it. I think that's about okay, an okay. hour in, but I'm not sure. We'll find out. I mean, it's, there's, if it is, as, as you meant, it is after the opening credits, which as you mentioned are 40 minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like drive my car. Take that. Take that tar. You don't need to throw all the credits up at the top. Uh, great. Sorry, I'm not taking. I'm not taking a nap. I just haven't seen RRR yet, yeah. so I well, haven't had anything to say. I think you'd enjoy it. Uh, if you, Dan, you're really into three hour movies these days and that spectacle. are like kind of spectacle. Yeah, yeah. you'll see RRR. I yeah. love that shit. The reason I haven't seen it is I wanted to see it on the big screen with an audience, and they keep they keep having like this and that 
pop up in New York, and I hope that I will be able to see it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, now that we've talked about our tops of the year, let's uh, let's do a little bit of speed round. Let's talk about some of our other favorite things that might not have fallen into our uh, our top threes. Uh, does anybody have any favorite performances? I know for me, one of the standouts was Lashana Lynch in The Woman King, this like super charismatic performance uh, that like in a way uh, anchor like Viola Davis is incredible and she's absolutely fucking yoked. I mean, she is so huge. Uh, but Lashana, uh, Lashana Lynch also like provides this like emotional center that uh, anchors the whole movie and she's fucking great and I can't wait to see her in more stuff. Um, what about you guys? Well, I have to admit, I just, you know, picked some categories yeah. from your list so I don't have anything. <laughs> like, I can't round robin like this. I just have well, the I'll, ones that I have. So for performances, I'll say... From the opening minutes of Tar, not to keep talking about Tar again, I was like, this is maybe my favorite Kate Blanchett performance I've ever seen because I, well, I'm like, I'm Galadriel. seeing Galadriel. <laughs> even mm. more than Galadriel, even more than Queen Elizabeth, even more than, uh, isn't she the ex girlfriend in, uh, is it Hot Fuzz, <laughs> where she, she has a mask on yes. and she's in one scene? She's in uh, one scene. That's great. Th so that she's, where I, it's one of those performances where I'm like, this is not necessarily a flashy performance. This is not a showy performance. I feel like I'm watching a real person who lives and is not Kate Blanchett, that she is creating a person on screen. Yes. And that was really exciting to me. Uh, my honorable mention, though, I have to say, uh, I'm going to give it to Margot Robbie because whatever movie she's in, even though I don't I have it, I don't think I'm going to be liking her big movies of 2022 that much. Amsterdam, of course, I hated. And Babylon, I'm not so sure about. She gives her all in every part. I feel yes. like she is always acting at 100,000%. And every single part I've seen her in, she acts like this is the part. It's like she's auditioning to become a movie star every single time she's in a movie. And I really that really impresses me. That she is, she still seems to be so passionate about her performances in every yeah. movie I see her in. Well, she, I mean, she obviously she radiates charisma, but she's also just like so physically precise. Like, what, what, you know, whether or not you love Babylon, hate Babylon, whatever. Like, you know, there's that long scene where uh, at the beginning at the party where like she's drugged up, but she's feeling the music, and she does like this amazing dance number that she is like tossing her whole body into and is captivating through the whole thing. I saw, I, in the Dancy Awards this year for best Margot Robbie dancing, Babylon yeah. wins hands down over Amsterdam. Yeah. That's for sure. Wow. Okay. Oh, wait, was Suicide Squad this year? Uh, she was, she did some good dancing in that. <laughs> oh, I the see. I didn't see the newer Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad. Yeah. yeah. But even that's yeah. like, whether she's playing Harley Quinn or Tanya Harding or whoever, she, I feel like she's always acting to the hilt. And I really admire that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dane, do you have something for a different category? Uh, well, I yeah, I'm sorry to <laughs> have gummed up the works. Don't apologize, uh, by, Dan. Uh, I just have, Live I, your I truth. paired up, I paired up <laughs> biggest disappointment and biggest surprise. Okay. Mm, a surprise disappointment. So, uh, you know, don't go breaking Stu's heart. I, I put decision to leave on my biggest disappointment, not because I didn't like it. Oh, wow. I, I wow. on my letterbox. Wow. Oh. Wow. Uh, I'm wow. rending my garments. Wow. On my letterbox. <laughs> oh, let's do Stu, stop smearing ashes on mm. yourself. The, the keeper of the stars. I gave it three and a half. I think it's I I think it's good. And I understand why other people love it. I just 
you know, like I I love Park Chan Wook, and I don't want him to not be garish and and wild. Like you know, that's not what I want out of his movies. And I understand, you know, like like they're all the critics were like talking about decision to leave, and like, oh, it's a, such a mature work from. Park Chan Wook, it's so restrained. I'm like, that's not necessarily good in and of itself. He's so good at being like wild and doing nutty things in the movies and like making, like just being like a virtuoso. Like, just let he did this one for Ellie, not for Dan. Yeah, yeah. yeah this was, I mean, I, I love his other movies, but yeah, that's he, he did it. He's like, he's like, Elliot, I'm at the same place in my life that you're at in your life where you're looking for emotional yeah. connection and not just empty stylistic it's vengeance. fucking great. Like, oh, you're going to love it. All right, but I do, I do like those movies. I can't you, wait to see it. You've always been older than me, Elliot, even though uh, <laughs> I am, in fact, much older than you. Uh, I'm going to say biggest surprise positive mm-hmm. uh was uh, it was a weird was we, this will show you how few movies from this that from uh, 2022 that I ended up seeing was uh, like Orphan First Kill, which we watched for the Flophouse, yep. which I was not expecting to enjoy as much as it was because I didn't expect it to be as as kind of like a loony garish of uh, a pulp movie as it was. And the other was uh, is is the menu a 2022 release or 2023 release? Uh, 2022, no, yeah. I watched the menu recently and I was like. Going into it, I was like, "All right, what am I going to feel about this?" And I really enjoyed it a lot. And it was not, and it was not an amazing movie. And the satire targets are pretty broadside. You know, it's not yeah. a, it's not the most sophisticated satire. But I really enjoyed Ray Fiennes' performance in it. And I think it works better of, as like a, a fun thriller than as a satire. Yeah, exactly. I think it worked. It worked as a fun thriller, and it's got a bunch of good. Uh, pretentious chef speeches. And in Nicholas it. Holt uh, is fucking great in that shit. He's so funny. He's such a funny performer. Like the at that he's uh, so yeah. And and Anya, Anya Taylor Joy is good. Is good in it. Like this. It's a so that was one where I was like, uh, I I kind of watched it on a lark, and I was like, yeah, this is a really fun thriller. Yeah, I'm enjoying this one. It's also a really good performance from Hung Chow, who also gives a good performance in The Whale, a movie that I did not particularly care for, but does have good performances. Now, if we're talking biggest disappointments, then if I'm going to pair it up like like mm. Dan did, again, I mentioned Nope was a bigger disappointment for me just because my expectations were so high for it, and it just didn't match that. But I'm pairing up biggest disappointment with another category that Stu had, which was scene that really stuck out to me. I don't know if you guys saw the movie Athena, but the opening scene of that is astonishing, and the rest of the mm. movie just does not st- does not stand up to it. The opening scene is this. Uh, and it, this feels very like uh, it feels very Babylon fanboyish, also because it's a lot of it's a movie with a lot of long takes. We are like, how did they do this in a single take? And it's a single take that involves an assault by a gang on a police station, and then them going through the police station, stealing stuff and blowing things up, and then getting into a stolen van and then driving away. And it's all happening around the same time, and it's really astonishing. And the rest of the movie, you're you're like, oh, this movie's going to be so amazing, and then it turns into kind of a uh, kind of a flat, uh, dramatically flat movie that has a lot of like set piece things in it. But by the end of it, you're like, oh, this is also a movie about like young people rising up against a government uh, (laughs) and there's no real ideas in it and the characters don't really make sense and I don't really know why they're doing anything. All right, but that first opening scene is is astounding. So Mm. it's kind of like worth watching the first 15 minutes of the movie and then being like, all right, I saw what this movie has and then turning it off. So that was a disappointment that it didn't live up to that. 
For a disappointment, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, mm. I feel like it it was such diminishing returns from uh, the previous Thor movie, and I feel like maybe I've gotten tired of Taika Waititi's thing. Uh, or, I mean, ultimately, just the whole thing felt very lazy. Uh, and well, considering like how much the, money is involved in these things, you would think, I don't know. Well, the thing is, you, uh, the, clearly, Taika Waititi is stretched at the moment. Yes. He's working on a lot of different yes. things. That's and I feel a big like part of it, I'm sure. The ish, as much as I didn't love Nope, Jordan Peele feels like he is constantly developing and constantly pushing himself. And it feels mm -hmm. like, at the moment at least, Taika Waititi is not doing that. And he's done a lot of work that I really loved, but yet it feels like he's kind of like... People are paying me a lot of money Coasting, to do this thing. Yeah. I think I'll keep doing it, you know. Yeah. Um, to move back to positives, if I can. Yeah, of course. Nope. Uh, nope. And that, also now, we're to, the, now we're just in the in the dumping part of the in the episode. So, Dan, here's what I don't like about you. You're too nice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's not what you don't like about me, Elliot. Um, <laughs> uh, so, the, you know, this uh, – this will get more hate mail for old Danny boy after liking Babylon and saying, I didn't like decision to leave as much as Stuart. Uh, my positive surprise will get everyone making fun of me. It's bullet train, uh, a movie that probably benefited from the fact that I went to it sort of on a lark because I have, you know, a season pass and, uh, it was what was playing, and at that point, <laughs> everyone had come out with their, you know, bad reviews. And I'm like, but maybe I'll like this. And it didn't. It didn't spark joy at the beginning. I thought it was going to be like what it looked like in the trailers, which was a sort of post Tarantino, smoking aces, lucky number eleven, uh, bullshit yeah, yeah. <laughs> that like <laughs> clogged. Clogged up America's colon circa late nineties, <laughs> um, but yeah, but, like I'm ready to spend at least two days in this valley. Yeah, <laughs> how many heads are in this duffel bag? Better be yeah. at least eight. Uh, I'm dead, and I'm in Denver. Are there things to do here? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, me asking man. the concierge at the mortuary. <laughs> Anybody got a Zoe? I'd like to be killing it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, what kind of things do you have in the menu? Bad? Do you have any that are very bad? <laughs> You're telling that even out of this boondock you got saints? Uh, anyway, I thought it would be that kind of bullshit. And like on a certain level, I guess it is. But uh, speaking of my maximalism, it just keeps piling on layers and layers and like – narrative digressions and gimmicks to the point where like to, if you're me at least you stop being mad at it for being too gimmick gimmicky and start getting amazed at very how gimmicky it gets and like it becomes less that sort of glib action comedy and more like a looney tunes cartoon which is when i started really kind of locking into it and enjoying myself and i think if you look at it as like just this wacky live action crime cartoon it's a lot of fun uh, so before we move, uh, we move on to wrap this whole thing up. Uh, we did talk a little bit about how, uh, we don't only watch new movies. Mm -hmm. I feel like we all watch a ton of movies. Was there anything from pre 2022 that you watched that you, uh, really connected? What was your like 
best first time watch this year. It sounds like Elliot, you watched a lot of 2021 movies this year. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was like, what movies am I talking about? Well, of course, The Last Duel, of course, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and I'd be like, 2021, 2021. Uh. But I, so this is, I think this will go down in my personal uh, movie legend, which was this decision, this series of movies that I watched this year that really, I that where I was at a very low point emotionally that really kind of helped pull me back. And they're not like, it's not like go, I went and watched a bunch of comedies and they like lifted my spirits or whatever. But there mm-hmm. was a, there was a night when, uh, I was going through, I was going through a period that I have not fully brought myself out of where things that once brought me a lot of joy, no longer bring me joy yeah. in that same way. Yeah, yeah. And the, uh, and I was like, am I going to watch Thor love and thunder right now? Don't knowing I'm probably not going to enjoy it. Or am I going to watch this Spanish movie from the director of spirit of the beehive that I don't know anything about. And I watched that Spanish movie. It's called El Sur. And it was just like, it's Dan would hate it. It is a quiet movie about the relationship between <laughs> a man and his daughter. Dan would fucking <laughs> hate that movie. There is no spectacle to it. There's a part where he's divine. He's using a divining stone to find water in a field. And I'm sure Dan was like, okay, this is how his powers are shown. Okay, what's the, was there a geyser that's going to come out and he's going to ride it into space? But no, that doesn't happen. And I went on, I was on this run where I was like, okay, I'm going to just watch movies that I think I'm going to connect with emotionally. And I, and three in a row, I watched El Sur passing and afterlife. I think I ended up recommending all these in the podcast. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, these are all movies that like, I really feel like I got a lot out of. And that made, reminded me of like, why, why, why movies are a thing that I've spent so much of my life thinking about and, and loving and wanting to be a part of and talking about. And it was like, oh, okay. So that was really, so those were ones, there were a bunch of other movies I saw this year that were not from this year, uh, but all older movies, uh, Mr. Klein, which is from the seventies, Imagine in Uniform, which is from the 30s. Uh, I Was a Simple Man, which is from just a couple years ago. Uh, and then, like, there's this Japanese movie called Fighting Allergy. There's uh, this, uh, I really like The Lost Daughter, which is also from 2021 that I finally yeah, saw yeah, this year. Great. And, like, this Agnes Varda movie called One Sings, The Other Doesn't. I think these are all movies that I might have recommended on the show, but, like, yeah. that I just, I, I went, I realized, like, oh, okay, there's a lot of movies that I saw this year, and it was always better for me when instead of seeing the movie that, everyone was talking about because it's the biggest thing that happens to be out at the moment. I saw the thing that I had a sense might say something to me. And so that was really the best, the best part of 2022 in terms of movie. That's that's got to feel good that your like instincts were right. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's the other thing is it's like, it feels good when you are, when you feel like you are out of step with the way a lot of mainstream entertainment is right now, which is weird for me since mainstream entertainment is essentially built off of Marvel comics, which has been in my bones for, yeah. you know, 30 years bones now. And all? That like, yeah, bones, look, it's a, <laughs> Spider-Man's in there, bones and all. Bones and, and all. That, uh, yeah, it, it's all those bones, uh, that even crossbones, the Captain America villain. Absolutely, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, Red Skull, he's just, bones. his head yep. is a bone. He's a bone, but, you know, yeah. It's a bones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's dry bones th- that it was like oh wait th- yep the dry bones dry- from Mario will show up in Marvel <laughs> Comics sometimes I mean eventually at some point Disney's gonna buy Nintendo and, and then Chris it's all, Pratt will look at the camera childhood. and be like well that happened and we're like okay <laughs> here's my money and it, it was some, it reminded me that like the movies I see and I, mean, I was never limited this way because as you guys know I watch old stuff all the time but the movies I see and that I care about and I talk about don't have to be just what's out at the moment and don't have to be the thing that the studios man tell me that I'm supposed to care uh, about. Yeah. And that I had, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the podcast before, but I had a conversation with John Hodgman earlier this year where we were talking about Moon Knight and he was like, 
it's not, a, it's like, he, he's like, you, you don't, you don't, it's fun, but it's not essential. And I was like, John, none of it's essential. We yeah. don't have to watch any of these. We can watch whatever we want. And it was great to like take the reins of my own movie viewing and be like, I'm going to watch what I want and to be rewarded so richly with yeah. movies that really, that really touched me in a way that I hadn't been touched in a while. Guys, it's been so long since I was touched in that way. <laughs> oh, I feel awakened no. as a viewer again. <laughs> uh, Dan, do you, do you have one of these? You know what? I, I didn't originally, but Elliot was so sincere that I wanted to talk about it. I watched a movie from 2019 uh, called It Started as a Joke. It was It's about the Eugene Merman Comedy Festival that ran for a while in Brooklyn. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a documentary and, you know, it touches on that. And then, spoiler alert, it also becomes about uh, the illness of... Eugene Mervin's wife and, and her passing. And that's a very uh, sort of moving part of it. But along the way, the reason it spoke to me, you know, I can't really, I think it's a good movie, but I can't look at it objectively because I kept seeing like people I would either see on stage when I was trying to do comedy in New York during the same period or, I would actually later come to know uh, at the Daily Show or, or, you know, or work with or and stages that uh, I've been on in the past. And, you know, it's kind of an odd thing to think that I'm <laughs> old enough and that, like, you know, I was never... A, a name in any sort of way. I just was trying to do comedy at the same time, but like, this is a scene still that I was a part of. Like, it's weird to look back on that and see that in an actual movie about something. <laughs> um, so that was, that was a, a, a touching movie to see and one that I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I mean, in a way, uh, the movie that I think had the biggest impact on me is kind of similar in some ways to both uh, what where Dan was at and where Elliot's at. Um, back in February, right before my birthday, uh, I flew out. I had to fly out to Portland because my mother-in-law's husband passed away uh, at the last minute. And um, we... I on the fly. I have a tendency to like download movies onto my iPad, onto my uh, laptop to watch on planes because I have this weird control thing, and I don't know. I like to make sure that I have as much possible entertainment, so I'm not bored. <laughs> um, and uh, I also have a tendency to try and watch things that say I wouldn't have a chance to watch at home. Um, so I watched Oslo August 31st, which is a Joachim Trier movie uh, from 2011. Uh, he had made uh, he had made my favorite movie of last year, uh, Worst Person in the World. And Oslo August 31st is uh, is a single uh, tells the story of a single day in the life of a recovering drug addict who has one day to go uh, leave his treatment center to kind of uh, to like figure out where his place is going to be when he leaves that treatment center. And I don't know if it's like being like an elder millennial or something and this feeling of like not knowing exactly where you fit in the world and uh, not knowing if you're where you're supposed to be, if you're at where you're supposed to be at for your age 
Um, and also like coming out of the pandemic and not knowing like, I mean, we're still in a pandemic obviously, but coming out of the pandemic and, uh, and just like not knowing how the world works anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like, it was a super moving and like, like crushing in some ways. Like it's a very sad movie in some ways, but it also like, I don't know. It's that, you know, like even when you see something that's super sad, but like you connect with it, it's, it makes you feel good. Yeah. Well, that's, mm -hmm. I feel like that's, that's what I was trying to get at. And you said, yeah. you said it even better, which is like when I, when I was feeling down and it was like, I didn't want, I didn't want happy things to jolly me out of it. I wanted something that, that the thing that reaches out to you and is like, there's, I understand you, you understand me, like yeah. you're not alone. And like that's, and sometimes that means watching a movie about someone whose life is falling apart yeah. or is very sad. And you're like, oh, they get it. The same way I've talked about this before. The first time I ever had a kidney stone and it was super painful and I watched From Beyond and Jeffrey Combs <laughs> is going mad and he bites someone's eyeball out. And I was like, this movie gets how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> <laughs> Finally a movie that understands me. Uh, well, that's great. Um, I feel like uh, all things considered, it was still a good year for movies and it was a good year for us doing the podcast. I had a great time. Yeah. I'm looking forward to another year of, uh, let's say, good movies uh, and uh, potentially some bad ones. Uh, well, Law of averages. My, <laughs> leading off of that, here's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to take a page from the book of Dan McCoy, uh, <laughs> chapter one, but wait, let me move a little forward. Okay, chapter two, more butts. Chapter three, wife sure, butts. Yep. Chapter four, see chapter one. Okay, chapter five. Okay, here we go. That where I feel like Dan has said to me, he goes, we'll talk about a movie and he'll be like, for this podcast, and he's like, I think you're looking for things to not like in it because you think you're supposed to for the for the podcast. Like I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm always want to enjoy it. And Dan has a habit of comparing the movies to other movies we've seen as opposed to comparing them to all the possible movies in the <laughs> universe, which I tend to do. And so my resolution is I'm going to try to go into the movies that we see for this podcast saying, I want to. I want this movie to be good, and I want to enjoy this movie. And I'm going to go in expecting it to be good, and hoping that it's good, and hoping that I get surprised. And I'm going to go into every movie doing that, and I'm going to bring that same energy to our next movie, uh, Black Adam. Oh, oh boy! Shit. Wait, the movie that was so bad it made the Rock unfollow the official Black Adam Instagram account. <laughs> that same one. Oh, but I'm going to go into it. Looking for the positive. I think I want to take a page. Dan and I, we don't love all the same movies, but I think I, I really admire, Dan, that when you go into a movie, you're like, what am I going to like about this? What am I going to see in this that's good, that I'm going to enjoy? And what am I going to see in this that I haven't seen before uh, and that's big and, and weird and, and surprises me? So I'm going to try to go into movies with that mindset. And thank you for granting it to me. I've just stolen it from you. You don't have it anymore. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now I have to be more critical. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have. Uh, okay, it'll well, be a real Freaky Friday. This mm -hmm. this it'll has be, been it'll be, it'll be a real a real slightly different Friday. Castle Freaky Friday. <laughs> um, so this has been uh, a presentation of the Flophouse podcast. Oh no, I've got to take my daughter's test, and my daughter's ripping my ding dong off. That's a Castle Freaky <laughs> oh, Friday. Oh no, <laughs> Ellie won't let you in the episode, Stuart. It's impossible. No. <laughs> 
so this has been, yeah, this has been a presentation of the Flophouse podcast. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the future. Thanks for supporting our show. Uh, there's other great shows like ours on the Maximum Fun Network. Thanks again to our producer, Alex Smith, uh, who goes by Howell Doughty, and he makes this sound great. Uh, for the Flophouse, I've been Stuart Wellington. <laughs> I've been Dan McCoy. And I'm the new hyper-positive Elliot Kalin. Go movies, Flophouse forever. Bye. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.